passage today picks up in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 1. Remember, Paul is writing to a young pastor, his son in the faith, and teaching him how to be a pastor. He said, now, Timothy, do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would your father. Treat younger men as brothers, older women like mothers, younger women like sisters in all purity. All right. So here is pastoral leadership. Now, none of us as pastors are perfect in this, but this is leadership style. We are not corporate. We are not political. We are not business, but we are family leadership. Now, he says, don't rebuke an older man. Would you rebuke your father? I mean, I can just imagine me standing in my front of my father rebuking him. <laughs> I would be decapitated, all right? Don't rebuke an older man. Encourage him as you would a father. He said, treat younger men like brothers. I mean, please forgive me, guys. I, I know as brothers, we quarrel a little bit, and we grew up with brothers quarreling. And, you know, you, you talk to a young man who's never had a sister but only brothers, and you have to teach him to speak a little softer. But treat younger men as brothers. We're family. Older women like mothers. You would never rebuke your mama. Talk about decapitation. I would be decapitated and my ears turned to top up if I ever talked back to my mama. Treat older women like mothers. Treat younger women like sisters in all purity. Honor widows who are truly widows. All right, so here's, here's someone in church to honor. Now, Brothers and sisters, sometimes we look at that word honor and we go, why in the world are we honoring a widow? What did she do to deserve honor? Because it's exactly the opposite of what the world does. The world does not honor a widow. She has no husband. In the ancient world that Paul lived in, if a widow did not have a son to support her, she couldn't own land, she couldn't do business. It was a very difficult life. Widows oftentimes became beggars. For instance, Ruth and Naomi in the Bible. Honor widows who are truly widows. Now, notice the word truly widows. They didn't walk out on their husbands, all right? Honor them. Don't ever let them be disrespected among the body. If a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn how to show godliness to their own household. So that's something they have to learn. You know, children and grandchildren have to learn if you've got a mama or you've got a Lola who's a widow, you learn godliness. You have to learn to, to support them and to make some return to their parents. For this is pleasing in the sight of the Lord. Notice, make some return. In other words, um, <laughs> they took care of you. Now you take care of them. Now, this does not make children our retirement program. All right. But this does say as young people, if mama's a widow, we should make sure we take care of them. For this is pleasing in the sight of the Lord. It pleases God when we take care of our parents as they get older. She who is truly a widow, left all alone. Now here's the qualification. Truly a widow, left all alone, has her hope set on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. All right. Notice true widow. Here is a true widow. She's left all alone. She has her hope set on God because there's nobody else to help her. 
She continues in supplications and prayers night and day. Now, that's a true widow. But she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. He said, now, listen, there are, there are those who are, are not widows, but, you know, they're self-indulgent. Command these things as well, so that they may be above reproach. All right, so there are things to command in church. So, for instance, you have seen me at some point in my life, probably, command some young people. They're married now. They have their careers. Their dad has died. You have seen me command them, hey, help out mama. She's all alone. What are you going to do? Just, just leave her over there to starve to death? Take care of your mama. That's a command. Paul said, command these things. Now, there's a lot of things in the Bible we don't command. We, we urge. But there are some things we command so that they may be without reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. All right, denied the faith. How do you deny the faith? Well, one way is you don't help take care of your family. You know, there are some people, and not as much here in our country. I mean, some saying this to some of you sounds like, that's the weirdest thing I ever heard of. Of course I'm going to take care of my family. But, you know, sometimes in the West, and we have a lot of Western influence coming in more and more in our beloved nation, especially when our Balakbayans come home. You know, in the West, young people are kicked out of the house at 18. And you know what? When their parents get old, they stick them in a nursing home to die. You know, and, and there's just no family. So I, I know it sounds weird to us, but all over the world, these things need to be taught. And as the world changes, sometimes even our, our, our Pinoy brethren from around the world, they, they don't understand this passage. We do have a responsibility to our own households. Let a widow be enrolled. All right, so there is a role of support. If she is not less than 60, so 60 and above, having been the wife of one husband, not one at a time, having a reputation for good works, brought up children, shown hospitality, washed the feet of the saints, in other words, she's been a servant, cared for the afflicted, devoted herself for every good work. Here's the qualification for widow support. So the qualification is not need the qualification is how did this woman live her life? It's not need. It's how did she live her life? Does she have a reputation of good work? She's brought up her children. She's shown hospitality. She's washed the feet of the saints. She's cared for the afflicted. She's devoted herself for every good work. And she has no family now to take care of her. Maybe her children have died. Maybe her children have gone someplace. I don't know. Maybe her children turned away from her. But if you've got these qualifications, one, two, Three, four, five, these six qualifications. Then we can begin to talk about a monthly stipend to help this widow. But refuse, wow, refuse to enroll younger widows. For when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry. And so incur condemnation, having abandoned their former faith. Besides that, they learn to be idlers. 
going from house to house, not only idlers, but gossips and busybodies, saying what they should not say. All right, now, there's something I want you to learn here. People learn. You learn to be lazy. How do you learn to be lazy? Being supported. Now, I have never believed in welfare programs, though when I was a child, I know what it's like to live on welfare. I mean, that's, I never got much of it, but when I was a boy, you know, my mother never worked and we lived in poverty. But I learned a long time ago, that's not a dignified way to live. So I began to sell newspapers. I had two different paper routes. I shoveled snow in the wintertime. I mowed grass in the summertime. I did everything I could and basically supported myself from the time I was around 11 years old. Now, if you live a dependent lifestyle, I would call this dependent lifestyle. A dependent lifestyle learns to be idlers, learns to be lazy. Honestly, sometimes you find this in the ministry. Pastors who have learned to have a dependent lifestyle, living on the offerings of other people, and they've never learned that they have to work. I mean, forgive me, the church members have to work hard. Pastors should work hard. But a dependent lifestyle learns laziness. And notice, they go about, they go about from house to house. They're just, they got nothing to do. People who have nothing to do talk too much. <laughs> I'll just leave that one alone. People who have nothing to do talk too much. So I would say to younger wid widows, marry, bear children, manage their households, and give the advocate adversary no occasion for slander. This is Satan, okay? This is Satan. Give the adversary no occasion for slander. For some have already strayed after Satan. Wow. So believers can stray after Satan. Now, that is a horrible thought, but people do. If any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. All right, so not just men, women. If you have a believing relative who's a widow, let them care for them. Let the church not be burdened. All right, now the only thing that we see as a burden to the church is benevolence. Only benevolence. Called a potential burden. Supporting pastors is not a burden. Building God's house is not a burden. Evangelism is not a burden. But but benevolence can be called a potential burden. Let the elders who rule well, all right, they lead well, not, not dominate people, they lead well, be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. Labor, okay? Hard work. who labor in preaching and teaching. Pull this up a little farther for you. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle the ox while it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves its wages. So Paul, two quotes, and 
Later, I would look those up and put them in my margin. Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. Now, not gossipers, but witnesses, people who actually saw something. So do not admit, don't, don't entertain accusations against an elder. Now, an elder would refer to a pastoral staff. Paul uses five words in, in uh, the book of Acts interchangeably in the same chapter, elder, presbyter, overseer, bishop, and pastor or shepherd. Now, he said, don't, don't sit around. People are always going around lying about preachers. Don't, don't listen to these charges except on the evidence of two or three witnesses, people who actually saw something. As for those who persist in sin, those who persist in sin, now these are elders who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all so that the rest may stand in fear. All right, so public, public correction. Now, again, this is something that in our Pinoy culture, we, we, we don't like, all right? But those who persist, not, not somebody who, who did a Galatians 6 slip up, not somebody who just messed up a little bit and they made a mistake and they're still learning. But when you've got a preacher who persists in sin, then he said, rebuke them in the presence of all so that the others may stand in fear. Now tie into that in Revelation 2 and 3. The, the woman prophetess in one of the seven churches of Asia who refused repentance, in other words, she persisted in sin, and we have her name written now for all eternity written in the scriptures. Jesus rebuked her publicly. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging. All right. So there are rules in church. <laughs> People say, oh, we don't want any rules. Well, there are rules in church. There are rules in church. There are rules in ministry. Keep these rules without prejudging, doing nothing from partiality, all right? So doing nothing, there's, there's big deal here. You should never do something out of partiality, either positive or negative. Paul says, Timothy, in church leadership, you have to be fair. Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands, nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. Now, this would be impartation, of spiritual ministry, nor take part in the sins of others. Now, many translations tie these two things together, that, that when you lay hands on people and you impart to them, you participate in their sins. So he said, don't be hasty. Check people out before you pray for them. Uh, people walk up to me all the time and they want me to lay hands on them. Pastor Samal, pray for me to have your anointing. I said, you don't want my anointing. God's got an anointing for you. But you, you have to learn, because I've made this mistake many times in my life. You lay hands on people, and there's an impartation that takes place. And forgive me, those people, you find out later, live awful lives, and they tell everybody that they received an, an impartation from, from your life, and it's embarrassing. He said, keep yourself pure. No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. All right. Remember, in that day, they had bad water. When you drink the water, you got sick. All right, it's just like all bad water. And notice, he had to tell him. So in other words, Timothy did not drink wine at all. He was total abstinence. He said, take a little wine. But again, 
This is not what we call wine today. Okay? This is ancient wine. Do you remember how when we talked about Kaliga and I defined to you what a spiritual battle boot was like? It's because otherwise you would look at the spiritual battle boot, a boot that soldiers wear, and you think of what our Pinoy military men wear. Because in your mind, that would be the picture. So we had to go back and say, what was meant by that? Well, the wine in that day was very different than the wine today. It's, it's about 0.5% alcohol because, you know, it was naturally fermented. There was no additional sugars. The stuff today is like 9 to 15%. All right, you get drunk on one glass, literally one glass, and you're over the legal limit. He said, oh, Timothy, I want you to have a little bit of this because it cleans the water. And remember, the Jews would mix water and wine together. One part wine, four parts, and sometimes five parts water. The alcohol, that 0.5% in it would help kill the bacteria in it. Kind of like sticking in a, a purification tablet. And, you know, have you been on a camping trip or you've been hiking and you get these little purification tablets and you get water out of a stream and you drop that little tablet in and then, then you can drink the water? Uh, same idea. The sins of some men are copious, all right? Obvious is another way to say that. Going before them to judgment. But the sins of others appear later. Now, now this is, this is a big deal, all right? You know, there are some people, you don't see their sins until after they're gone. There are some people, you see it right away. I mean, there are some people... It's just so obvious and so prevalent. It's just laid out right there. But there are other people that are really good at hiding their sins. Let me explain to you this way. Many, 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 many years ago, we sat down with some external auditors and they were trying to find out how money was being stolen from COP. And I said, listen, we need some help with that. And as they sat there and talked with me, this famous auditing company looked at me and they said, We'd like a list of your staff that never takes a vacation, never takes a holiday, that works constantly. I said, why? Those would be the most faithful, hardworking people on staff. They said, no, that is where your thief is. I said, what? Well, over the last 40 years, I've learned how true it is. I've learned how banks will just randomly make officers who control money take a one-week without notice. Just take a one-week holiday without notice because that's when things come out. See, people who are good at hiding their secret sins, when they're not there to keep the covers on, that's when sins become obvious. So Paul said, listen, the sins of some people are obvious going before them to judgment, uh, but the sins of others, you know, when they're not there to keep them covered up, that's when they come out. But also good works are conspicuous, and even those cannot be cannot remain hidden. So also good works are copious. Good works are obvious. Again, the word copious here, good translation would be obvious, very easy to see. Even those that are not cannot remain hidden. So folks, if you will just keep doing good things for people, it's going to get seen. Even though people don't seem to notice it, people are going to notice it. Chapter 6, verse 1. Not all who are under the yoke as slaves. Again, slavery was a part of old world life. I don't agree with it, but it was a part of the ancient world. We will call them today uh, employees. Bad translation, but same thought. 
You who are under the yoke of slaves, regard their masters as worthy of all honor. If you work for somebody, treat your boss with honor so that the name of God and and the teaching may not be reviled. All right, so employees. How you treat the boss. See, before you got saved, everybody hates the boss. Everybody talks bad about the boss. Everybody talks bad about the boss. Being a boss sucks, all right? I know, I'm a boss. But he said, when you get saved, you stop talking bad about the boss, and you treat the boss as worthy of honor. Why? Because the boss is all that? No. So that the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled. You go trash the boss all the time, the gospel becomes reviled. Those who have believing masters must not be disrespectful on the ground that they are brothers. Rather, they must serve all the better since they have the benefit of their good service. Since those who benefit by their good service are believers and beloved, teach and urge these things. So one of my jobs as a pastor is to teach you to work hard and to honor your boss at work. And if your boss is a Christian, even better because the person who receives your service is a believer, okay? And, and, and they're loved of God. So even better, he said, teach and observe, teach and urge these things. All right, let's open up our hearts for some more time in worship. Yeah. 
Testament passage today picks up in Jeremiah chapter 30, beginning with verse 1. So let's turn our attention there. The word of the Lord came, the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Now again, remember how important this whole concept of source always is. And when Jeremiah didn't have a word from the Lord, he just walked away and didn't speak. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, write in a book all the words that I have spoken to you. All the words. For behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will restore the fortunes of my people, Israel and Judah, says the Lord, and I will bring them back to the land that I gave to their fathers, and they shall take possession of it. All right, so here's hope. These are the words that the Lord spoke concerning Israel and Judah. Thus says the Lord, we have heard a cry of panic, of terror, and no peace. Ask now and see, can a man bear a child? Why then do I see every man on his hands, on his stomach, like a woman in labor? Why has every face turned pale? Alas, that day is so great there is none like it. It is a time of distress for Jacob, yet he shall be saved out of it. And it shall come to pass in that day, declares the Lord, that I will break his yoke off from your neck, and I will burst your bonds, and foreigners shall no more make a servant of him. Because the people of Israel were dominated by the foreign nations. But they shall serve the Lord their God and David their king, whom I will raise up for them. But now wait a minute. David died long ago. <laughs> so who is this David their king? <laughs> Jesus, the descendant of David. Then fear not, O Jacob, my servant, declares the Lord. Do not be dismayed, O Israel, for behold, I will save you from far away and your offspring from the land of their captivity. Jacob shall return and have quiet and ease, and none shall make him afraid. This is the future of Israel in the promised land. When the Messiah returns, the people of Israel, for the first time in thousands of years, will have quiet and ease. They don't have that right now. They have nations all around them attacking them. But in the millennium, with Jesus sitting on his throne, and actually the old King David resurrected, and the prince, he's called a prince now in the millennium, he's leading worship in the temple. Then they shall have quiet and ease. For I am with you to save you, declares the Lord. I will make a full end of all the nations among whom I scattered you. But of you, I will not make a full end. Okay, notice there is a full end concept here. I will discipline you in just measure, but I will no means leave you unpunished. For thus says the Lord, your hurt is incurable and your wound is grievous. There is none to uphold your cause, no medicine for your wound, no healing for you. All your lovers have forgotten you. They care nothing for you. For I have dealt you the blow of an enemy, the punishment of a merciless flow. 
because your guilt is great and because your sins are flagrant. Now, again, notice the becauses, all right? This was not what God had wanted. This is because of their sin. Why do you cry out over your hurt? Your pain is incurable because your guilt is great, because your sins are flagrant. I have done these things to you. Therefore, all who devour you shall be devoured, and all of your foes, every one of them, shall go into captivity. Those who plunder you shall be plundered, and all who prey upon you I will make a prey. For I will restore health to you, and your wounds I will heal, declares the Lord, because they called you an outcast. It is Zion for whom no one cares. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will restore the fortunes of the tents of Jacob and have compassion on his dwelling. The city shall be rebuilt on its mound and the palace shall stand where it used to be. Out of them shall come songs of thanksgiving and the voices of those who celebrate. I will multiply them and they will be few and they shall not be few. I will make them honored and they will not be small. Wow. (laughs) This is the future of Israel. Their children shall be as they were of old, and their congregation shall be established before me, and I will punish all who oppress them. Their prince shall be one of themselves. Their ruler shall come out of their midst. I will make them draw near, and he shall approach me. For who would dare of himself to approach me, declares the Lord. And you shall be my people, and I will be your God. Here's the promises. God said, listen, there's going to come a day when everything that I desire will happen. He said, your your sins have made a mess, but it's going to get better. Behold the storm of the Lord. Wrath has gone forth, a whirling tempest. It will burst upon the head of the wicked. The fierce anger of the Lord will not turn back until he has executed and accomplished the intentions of his mind. In the latter days, you will understand this. In the latter days. Not now. All right, so revelation grows. Like we understand things now about the millennium. We understand things now because of the book of Revelation that they did not understand that. Chapter 31, verse one. At that time, declares the Lord, at that time, I will be a God of all the clans of Israel and they shall be my people. Wow. At that time, the millennium. At that time, declares the Lord, I will be the God of all the clans of Israel and they shall be my people. There's not going to be any more 10 tribes and two tribes. There's not going to be more division in the land. Thus says the Lord, the people who survived the sword found grace in the wilderness when Israel sought for rest. The Lord appeared to him from far away. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. Again, I will build you and you shall be built, O virgin Israel. Again, you shall adorn yourself with tambourines and shall go forth in the dance of the merrymakers. Again, I love this. We saw because, now let's start looking at the agains. Again, you shall plant vineyards on the mountains of Samaria and the planters shall plant and shall enjoy the fruit. For there shall be a day when watchmen will call in the hill country of Ephraim. Arise, let us go to Zion, to the Lord our God. For thus says the Lord, sing aloud with gladness for Jacob and raise shouts for the chief of the nations. Proclaim and give praise and say, O Lord, save your people, the remnant of Israel. Behold, I will bring them from the north country. Russia, Eastern Europe, Northern Europe. And gather them from the farthest places of the earth. 
Have you ever thought about how many places the Jews have been scattered? China, Indonesia, the Philippines, South America. I mean, scattered from the world. I will gather them from the farthest places of the earth. Among them, the blind, the lame, the pregnant woman who is in her labor together, a great company. They shall return here to Israel. That is beginning now. God is beginning the regathering of Israel. One of the beautiful things you find when you go to Israel is the multiculturalism. You find Jews who are black from Ethiopia. You find Jews that are snow white from uh, Northeastern Europe. You find Jews that look like Middle Easterners with olive skin. I mean, you find all of it. You find everything from the farthest places of the earth. With weeping they shall come, and with pleas of mercy I will lead them back. I will make them walk by brooks of water, in a straight path with which they will not stumble. For I am a father to Israel, and Ephraim is my firstborn. Hear the words of the Lord, O nations, and declare it in the coastlands far away. He who scattered Israel will gather him and keep him as a shepherd keeps his flock. The millennium is going to be really, really cool, folks, because by then all of Israel will be gathered back. For the Lord has ransomed Jacob and redeemed him from hands too strong for him. They shall come and sing aloud on the height of Zion, and they shall be radiant over the goodness of the Lord. <laughs> oh, brothers and sisters, what makes people glow? You know, you, you hear about um, a young lady is blooming. She's radiant. Well, <laughs> God's people whether we're talking about Jew or Gentile, God's people bloom. We shall be radiant. I love that. Whoops. We shall be radiant. One, over the goodness of God. Number two, over the grain. Number three, over the wine. Number four, over the oil. Number five, over the flock. Number six, over the herd. Their life shall be like a watered garden. They shall languish no more. In other words, we are radiant over all the things God has done, over the goodness of God, and over all the good things God has given us. So God's goodness, God's blessings. We're radiant. We bloom. Then shall the young women rejoice in the dance. And the young men and the old shall be merry. <laughs> and I will turn their mourning into joy, and I will comfort them and give them gladness for sorrow. Brothers and sisters, God loves the dance. The young women shall rejoice in the dance. The young men and the old shall be merry. <laughs> I love it. I will feast the soul of the priests with abundance. Wow. Not the body, the soul of the priests. The spiritual leaders will feast on the abundance of the goodness of God, the soul. Now, now you, you just need to park here, all right? This, this is one of those ones I put three stars under, and I want to go meditate on that. As a spiritual leader, I will feast the soul of the priests with abundance. He'll bring such abundance into our lives. 
not just of financial things, but of all things, that our soul feasts. And my people shall be satisfied with my goodness. Ah, the goodness of God satisfies, declares the Lord. Awesome. All right, we'll see you tonight.